Welcome to the Corporate Minister Podcast, a safe space dedicated to the hearts and minds of African-American men. Today's work environment presents some unique challenges for Black men, and they can sometimes feel overstressed, overburdened, and at the same time undervalued and underappreciated. The Corporate Minister Podcast is about speaking a word of support, encouragement, and healing to the men in these spaces, as well as to those who love and support them. We also seek to provide a means for others to understand these men, their hopes, dreams, and challenges, in order to bridge the gaps and create a dialogue. Our guiding principles in these discussions are the Word of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Our bedrock scripture, and the one that underpins all of our work here, can be found in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, where it is written, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. With that, we welcome you to the Corporate Minister Podcast, presented by your host, the Reverend Dwayne Dixon. Welcome to the Corporate Minister Podcast. My name is Dwayne Dixon, and I serve on the ministerial staff at Progressive Baptist Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm also a technology executive, and I've been in corporate America for more than 25 years. My calling is to minister to the needs of men who are sometimes forgotten, educated men of color. The world sees job titles, the degrees, the outer trappings of success, and often draws the conclusion that me, these men don't need ministry. My experience has taught me that nothing could be further from the truth. My objective here is to bring a word from the Lord that will serve as a beacon of hope, solace, and encouragement. Every few weeks, we address one particular topic, stress, fear, pressure, male bonding, failure, and success, and we see what the word of God has to say about it. From there, we bring in a guest speaker and explore the topic in a bit more detail. And with a little luck, you'll hear something that blesses you. About that, I want to hear from you. Please drop us a line at thecorporateminister at gmail.com. Again, that's thecorporateminister at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, your feedback, and your ideas. I want to make this a space that's comfortable and relevant. And on that note, let's get started. For today's discussion, I want to talk about something a little different. And the inspiration comes from a note I received from a dedicated listener of the program. This is what he wrote. Dwayne, you may want to consider the topics of pride, arrogance, greed, humility, etc. A lot of successful men fall into these traps quite easily and often, myself included. I am literally going through something right now that is a result of my own pride and self-righteousness. I found myself sitting in my office in tears for 25 days straight. I have definitely learned that when God wants you to stop doing something, he puts the hammer down. I'm sure I'll recover, but not without having acquired a huge dose of humility. I'm not looking for sympathy because I definitely made this bed and now I've got to lay in it. He goes on to ask that we keep him in prayer and we'll continue to do that. But his note made me consider the idea of failure. And not any failure, but the failure that is self-inflicted. The failure that comes when we make bad decisions. Decisions we knew we, they were bad 
when we made them and we made them anyway. Those are the worst ones, especially because when the consequences of those bad decisions hit us, we internalize the blame and often we wallow in the shame. And if we're not careful, we get to a place where we consider ourselves unforgivable and we keep making bad decisions that place us in a downward spiral that can be difficult to ever recover from. With that in mind, I want to explore the topic when you mess it up, caring for yourself by forgiving yourself. Today's scripture comes from 2 Samuel 11 and 27, and I'll read from the New Living Translation. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Now, the subject of today's scripture is David. David is one of the most written about, talked about, read about, and learned about figures in the Bible. David shows up in all kinds of places and all kinds of stories. We all heard the story of David and Goliath. David, the psalmist and songwriter, he wrote more than half the book of Psalms. We all know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David wrote that. David, the favorite of King Saul. Michelangelo's sculpture of David is one of the most famous in the whole world. The name David means beloved. And it is the third most popular name in the United States. There have been more than 4.8 million Davids since the beginning of the time that the census was taken. And perhaps most importantly, the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. David was many things, but David was not perfect. And today's scripture deals with one of David's biggest self-inflicted failures. Let's go to, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. When David wakes up from a nap on a warm North African afternoon in the springtime when love is in the air, and he walks out on his roof and looks down on another roof and sees a beautiful bronze body in her bathwater. Her name is Bathsheba, and David is like, yes, I want her. The trouble was, she was married, and David knew it. As a matter of fact, she was married to one of David's soldiers. His name was Uriah. Despite her marital status, David summoned Bathsheba to the palace, and they slept together. Bathsheba later discovered that she was pregnant and she informed David. The king's reaction was to attempt to hide his sin. David commanded Uriah to report back to him from the battlefield and sent him home. His hope was that Uriah would sleep with Bathsheba and provide cover for the pregnancy. Uriah was such a loyal soldier, he slept in the servants' quarters instead of with his wife Bathsheba. While his men were on the battlefield and still in harm's way, he just didn't feel right about sleeping with his wife. And he did that for two nights straight. Well, that kind of fouled up David's plan. So when David realized that plan wasn't going to work, 
David enacted a second, more sinister plan. He told the military leader to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle and then purposefully fall back and leave Uriah exposed to the enemy attacked. Sure enough, that's what happened. And Uriah was killed in battle. And that brings us to today's scripture, 2 Samuel 11 and 27. When the period of mourning for Uriah was over, David sent for Bathsheba and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Now, David repented. And scripture goes on to say, the Lord has taken away your sin, David. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And the child born of this relationship did die. And David's household experienced further hardship in later years. In total, four of David's sons suffered untimely deaths. Bad choices, tough consequences, hard bed to lay in. Now, how often do we feel that way? We've done a stupid thing, a thing that we knew better than to do, and we're suffering the consequences. Here's the dangerous part. We can often draw the conclusion that because we've bad, done a bad thing, we're an inherently bad person. And because we're a bad person, we deserve bad things to happen to us. And since we deserve the bad things, we have no right to expect good things. And since we don't expect good things, we don't do our best. And since we don't do our best, bad things keep happening. And it spirals down and down and down. How do we break that cycle? It starts with understanding that God can, does, and will forgive. Scripture is full of examples of God's forgiveness. 1 John 1 and 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Matthew 26 and 28, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Or even Psalm 103 and 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And oh, by the way, that psalm was written by David. So if we can establish that God will forgive us, then the next step is for us to forgive ourselves. And that's often the hardest part. As good men, we hold ourselves to such high standards that when we fall short of those standards, it's really hard to let go. We find ourselves laying awake at night, cataloging all the bad things we've done or things we could have done differently. We beat ourselves up with coulda, woulda, shoulda. The good news is that we don't have to go through those changes. Don't get me wrong. We will have to deal with the consequences of our actions, but God will forgive us for what we've done, whatever we've done. And if God will forgive us, we can forgive ourselves. And if we can forgive ourselves, we don't have to beat ourselves up. We can be kind to ourselves and move forward without the stain of shame and guilt. 
and we can move into the promises of what God has next for us. And this shows up with David. David paid a terrible price for his sin, including losing four sons. But another of his sons, Solomon, went on to become king and was considered the wisest man in the entire world. More importantly, 43 generations later, a descendant of David named Jesus would be born. That was God's ultimate honor bestowed upon David, and at least for me, the ultimate expression of God's forgiveness. And on that note, on that note, I'd like to introduce today's guest. Pastor Brian C. Heron has been pastor of Zion Baptist Church in Minneapolis since December of 2006. He's a former Minneapolis City Council member representing the 8th Ward in South Minneapolis. He's active in the community and is a fearless advocate for justice. He also has worked and continues to work on stopping the violence in our community and in our city. He's on the leadership team of the 21 Days of Peace, which is a ministry of presence in the hotspot blocks of North Minneapolis. Pastor Brian started work with the Greater Minneapolis Council of Churches in 2003. He developed a program to help people transition back into the community after incarceration. The program, Community Justice Project, worked in partnership with the Minneapolis Police Department and Hennepin County Adult Correction Facility, along with other several, along with several other state prisons. The program was a support for individuals who have been incarcerated recruiting and training mentors, connecting them to the men and women who were incarcerated, visiting them, and then being there to help guide them when they were released. Also connecting the returning citizens to projects and programs that help ease their transition back into society and help them overcome the barriers that are ever present as they attempt to become productive citizens again and strive not to return to prison. While this program is no longer in existence, Pastor Heron still visits with those who are incarcerated, working with them to help their transition back to community, be supported and successful, thus reducing the recidivism rates. Pastor Brian serves on the board of Damascus Way, a ministry that provides housing and support to men returning home from institutions of incarceration. Pastor Brian is married to Rhonda Bell Heron, and they have eight children and a host of grandchildren and one great grandbaby boy. It is my pleasure to present Pastor Brian Heron. Good morning, Reverend. How you doing? I'm well. How are you, my brother? I am doing so well, and I'm just so pleased that you could join us today. You know, you keep really busy. Can you tell our audience <laughs> more about what you're up to these days? <laughs> yeah, besides pastoring the church and doing those duties, uh, as you mentioned, um, um, on the leadership team with uh, 21 Days of Peace, and um, we partner with Fellowship uh, Baptist Church, and we have taken the spot of 36th and Lindale. And so we go out there, we're present out there. We did it for 21 days straight, and now we do it a couple of days a week and on the weekends. Um, active in the justice <clears throat> in the justice work in our uh, city and community. Um, I'm taking uh, my fourth unit of clinical pastoral education. Mm -hmm. 
um, participating in a training, learning um, Pilgrim, the Pilgrim Center's methodology on reconciliation and healing. And uh, my wife and I do marriage coaching mm. and I do one-on-ones with uh, men. And I'm getting ready to start doing a group on Tuesdays uh, with men from the halfway house of the Volunteers of America who are just getting there and who haven't found work yet and are just trying to get acclimated back, um, you know, to the city and stuff. Praise God for the work that you are doing and the impact that you're having. Now, you're no stranger to 2 Samuel 11 and 27. How does that matter to you? How has that shown up in your life? Well, um, I went through a terrible time myself um, um, as a city council member. um, And I accepted some money from someone. um, And I put it like that because I didn't do what they said I did, but I did accept the money. And for me, if accepting the money was wrong, then I was wrong. Hmm. And uh, people told me I shouldn't plead guilty. They said I was set up. But one of the things that one has to do if they're going to get through uh, uh, the wrong decisions, wrong choices they make is you have to first own it Mm. and and take responsibility for it. Um, And so I pled guilty because even though I didn't do what they said I did, I did accept the money. And so I had to own that part and I had to own that piece. The second thing was I had to deal with the consequences of that, which was a year uh, in prison. Um, And um, it is in the midst of uh, the correction, the discipline, the consequences or where God shows uh, up the most I I believe in our lives. And um, my father used to always, he was big on accepting consequences and and then learning the lesson and then getting back up again and moving forward. So I dealt with the consequences and um, I, I didn't let the time do me. I did the time. My time was spent with God. I tell people, I spent a year with God and I spent a year because my, my, my request of him, my prayer was never to be delivered out of this situation. My quest was to know him because obviously I had missed him. Obviously I didn't know him because why would I be here if I really knew him? And so I sought to really know him And he met me in that place. And it was the most amazing experience I have ever had and that I continue to have with God. Um, Then the last leg is when you get out, you know, you're trying to reconcile with uh, your family. I had a wife. uh, Unfortunately, we didn't last through that um, and ended up getting divorced. And that compounded things for me because I was already beating myself up and I was already feeling bad. And then to um, lose my um, 
my ex-wife and to, you know, blow that marriage up, that added to the layers of uh, guilt and shame and frustration. And the most difficult part was learning to forgive myself so that I could move forward. Um, God had really dealt with me in that place and I met him and I received his forgiveness. But the problem was that I couldn't forgive myself for what I did. And I have to be really honest and admit that there are times when it washes over me even now, but I deal with it much differently because of my intimate relationship with God. Uh, and see, and and so you talk about forgiveness, you talk about shame, you, you, you talk about guilt. What is the key takeaway? What's the key message here for, for, for men who are dealing with the issues of forgiving themselves? Yeah, I think the key thing is, number one, you have to own it. If you want to come out of this hole, then you can't make excuses. You can't try to justify what you did. Uh, you have to acknowledge it. No excuses, no justifying, no trying to make what's wrong right. True confession. Um, and then you sorrow over it. Um, repentance is, is, is really comes from godly sorrow. You're not sorry that you got caught. You're sorrowing over it because you've hurt people and you've hurt God. And you rebelled against him, basically. And so that leads to true repentance. And true repentance is really about not just turning away from what we call sin or from the wrong way that you're headed. Uh, it's not just turning away and turning back to God. It's turning away and literally running back to God, mm -hmm. literally seeing your, your need for him and, and you need to, your a deep dependency that you have for him. And so you run back to him and, and then he, uh, he receives you and, and he forgives you. And then the key part is learning to forgive yourself, walking in his forgiveness, learning to forgive yourself learning the lessons that were uh, wrought through all that that you had to go through and then holding your head up and getting back up as God raises you up. Uh, uh, you are transformed and, and you're not the same person. And so you can live into the purposes that he has for you now. Um, it, it was a process. I actually went and saw a counselor. I saw someone who did the clinical and the spiritual um, because I needed to understand uh, some things about myself that I didn't really like to face. And so sometimes you need to seek help. Sometimes we are capable of, um, of shaking it off and and, and sorrowing and, and then moving forward. We've learned the lesson and we um, have shown, God has shown us grace. And so what I would say, we have to learn to be kind to ourselves and show ourselves lots of grace. 
Indeed. You know, it's really interesting. You talk about being kind to yourself. I, I just started a new job and, you know, I want to be good. I want to be outstanding. I want to be excellent. But it's a lot to learn. And, and praise God, I work for a manager who has been telling me, Dwayne, be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. You'll get there. You'll, you'll be as excellent as you want to be, but you have to be kind to yourself. Now, you also spoke about something that I'm a big, big proponent of, which is going to seek counseling. You know, we we don't like to seek counseling. We don't want to tell people our business, but it's important that when you need help, that you seek the help. I I, I had a I had a pastor one time tell me, he said, listen, if you were diagnosed with cancer, you would have no problem going to see an oncologist. Um if you broke a bone, you wouldn't have a problem going to see someone who specializes in, in broken bones. Well, if you have a broken spirit or if there's something psychologically or mentally wrong with you, there's nothing in the world wrong with. There's no stigma associated with you going to see a trained professional. Now, you know, <clears throat> on that note, these are very stressful times right now. How do you think this scripture and this lesson speaks specifically to such a time as this? Well, um, the reality is, is that um, the Bible says after a time of mourning, David took Bathsheba into his home as one of his wives. That wasn't unusual for David. And while it appeared to be a noble thing, it was a cover up. And it wasn't until David uh, was confronted by Nathan. That's right. That, that he was able to say, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan told a story and he said, you're the man. That's right. Uh, and, and that's when David realized that he had sinned against God. We are going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. And especially if we haven't dealt with our mental issues, with our trauma, And and if we're always ruled by our feelings, then we're going to move in the wrong direction sometimes. And we're going to make mistakes as as the pressure moves in on us and it gets harder. Matter of fact, I've heard that when you're squeezed, what's in you is what comes out of you. (laughs) And so um, we got to make sure we're putting good things in us. We got to, we, we as African-Americans, we're always people of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we always moved uh, by the spirit and towards God. So that gave us the resilience, that gave us the, the power that we needed because we walked in his victory. And when we've turned away from God, we don't have what we used to have to get through all that we had to get through. So my my suggestion is that you have to seek God, but you also have to understand that there's no stigma and we gotta normalize the conversation around seeking help uh, and getting help and working through our trauma because one of the things trauma impacts is our ability to manage our emotions. That's right. The other thing it impacts is our ability to have good and solid relationships. And then the third thing that it impacts is our feeling worthy of life 
and living. And so um, what I tell my folk is, uh, if you find a good clinician, a good clinical person that you like, then you go see them and then I'll work with you on the spiritual. And, you know, and I'll even connect with your clinical so that we're on the same page, you know, um, because you need both. You can't, um, I, I, I would say that um, a lot of the battles that we struggle with inside are spiritual battles and they manifest in physical ways and in ways where the clinical could be helpful. But if you don't take care of that spiritual thing, then um, you, you're, you're not going to be whole. You might be well, but you won't be whole. Mm. You know, it's been said that beside every great man is a great woman. What would you say about this topic to the women who are supporting the men in these spaces? Lord, our women have endured so much. And we as men have put them through so much. But I would say to them, grace, show grace, especially if you got a good man and especially if you know that he's trying and especially if he's sorrowing over what he has done. Grace, God, um, take it to the Lord. There's nothing too hard for him. And there's no relationship that can't be healed through him. Um, and so I would say, Grace, um, one of the things that we have to realize when we're in relationship, particularly marriage, is that that goes from me to we. Right. You know, and so it's we. Uh, uh, when, when we feel like walking away, we stay. When we feel like speaking, we're silent so we can listen. You know, we, we, we become selfless and we learn to serve one another. Uh, forgiveness is big. Forgiveness is the wellspring of, of life in a relationship. If we learn to love well, <clears throat> we'll learn to forgive well. And if we learn to forgive well, we'll learn to, constant, to constantly be able to serve each other in our relationships. Praise God for that word. Are there any resources on this topic, books, websites, information that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, there's a lot of resources. Um, I, there's one book that I recommend for married couples, and that's called Covenant Marriage, uh, Staying Together for Life by Dr. Fred Lowry. Um, the other book that is uh, the best book on relationships is the Bible. Mm. Um, God understands relationships because he's a racial, relational God. In the beginning, it was God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they were in perfect relationship with one another. The gospel is relational, and, and the gospel is about relationships with God and relationships with others and, and how we're supposed to do that. And it is our relationship with God that really determines how our relationships with others will be. And so I, I would say, um, find a good Bible study. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, and and sit under some good teaching uh, because the Bible is one of the greatest books on relationships. Amen. And as we come to the end of our time together today, do you have a final thought you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, you know, my thinking is this, that um, we are in tough times and we have to learn to, um, to watch the movements of God. It, it was the worst time of my life that God really showed me his love and that I begin to move towards the purpose of my life. I think we think that pain is bad. I think we think that when we mess up, that that's the end. But pain is just an indicator that something is wrong and something needs to be fixed. And so that's not bad. And when we mess up, that's not the end. That can lead to a new beginning and a new understanding. Um, Francis Assisi said, Lord, make us instruments of peace. Mm. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to be as to understand to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And you know what? I can't think of better words to end on than that. Reverend, pastor, brother, thank you so much for spending time Thank you so much for sharing. So, thank you so much for your transparent and powerful ministry. I appreciate you so much. And thank you so much. Thank you, brother, for having me, man. God bless you. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us at The Corporate Minister. We appreciate your spending time with us, and we would love to hear from you. If you have show ideas, prayer concerns, or if you are blessed by what you heard today, please drop us a note at thecorporateminister at gmail.com. Again, that's thecorporateminister at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time.